Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I want to share some of my thoughts with you as I think of this moment, this year, about the birth of Messiah. People debate when was he actually born. Was it December 25th or the 25th of Kislev? That's really beside the point. The important thing is that he has come and that he has entered our world. And what I find interesting about this phrase is that Paul first writes that he is the one who had uh, God sent forth his son, verse 4, born of a woman. Now, if he was writing about you and I, he would say, born of a woman, sent forth from God, right? Because we first come into the world by means of birth, and then after we're born into the world, God takes his spirit, places his spirit upon us, leads us, guides us, and he sends us forth. But Paul has this backwards. He sent forth his son, And the one whom he sent is born of a woman. See, that's what struck me. It ought to be this one born of a woman was then sent forth from God. Does that make sense to you? You know, because Paul puts it in the reverse. So why does he put it in the reverse? And I think the reason he puts it in the reverse is because the birth of Messiah is for a different purpose than why you and I are born. See, you and I are born so that we might come into existence. But Messiah was not born so that he might exist because he already was sent by God. In other words, he already existed before he was born. And that seems strange to us, doesn't it? Because before we can speak of existing, we must first be born. But not so for Messiah. In fact, as I read earlier, if you want to kind of tour around the scriptures with me, if you look back into the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Micah, he's the one that makes this point. Because Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, the one born in Bethlehem, though Bethlehem an insignificant place, he says, from you shall come forth for me. This is God speaking. The one from Bethlehem will come forth for me who will be the king of Israel, the ruler in Israel. But notice what his origins are. It is an origin that is from of old from ancient days. The Hebrew there is ad olam, from all of eternity, from everlasting. The one born in Bethlehem who is to come forth in order to be a king is one who had already existed in eternity past. And so once we understand that, now we look at Paul and he says, oh, the one sent from God is one that would be born of a woman. He's sent first and then he is born because he's always existed. You and I have not always existed. We began our existence when we were born, but Messiah has always existed. So why then was he born? 
And it's interesting to me because there are different reasons that are given, but here in Galatians we're told that he was born so as to redeem those born under the law. His focus of attention is the Jewish people, but not exclusively the Jewish people. But he says under the law because the law was given to the Jewish people. And what did the law do? The law did a variety of things, but ultimately what the law did was to reveal our sinfulness. Ultimately, the law said, thou shalt not or thou shalt do. And what we find ourselves is when it says, thou shalt not, we do. And when it says, thou shalt do, we find we don't. And so this is exactly what Paul says in Romans, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who will deliver me from this dilemma? Paul's telling us here how he found that deliverance. Messiah of Israel has come into our world, though he existed before he was born into this world. Nevertheless, in his coming, he's provided us with the antidote to our sinful dilemma. So he's come to redeem us. That's another way of really saying he's come to save us. I say it's another way to say to save us because when the word redemption is used, though it may speak of buying back, it's to draw our attention to the exodus. It's to draw our attention to the Passover. And what did God do? He redeemed his people from Egypt. What did that mean? He saved them from the tyranny of the Egyptians. He saved them from the overbearing nature of the Egyptian taskmasters. He set them free from this Egyptian horde that had taken control over his people, as it were. So while redemption means many things in its specific manner, in its general sense, it means to say he's come to save. So the one born in time actually precedes time, and he was born in time for the purpose of redeeming us from our sin. Now, when I, another interesting facet about this passage, he says, at the fullness of time. You know, in Greek, there are two words for time. There's the word chronos, from which we get the word chronology from. It means time in a linear fashion, in a chronological manner. That's not the word that Paul uses here. When he says in the fullness of time, he uses the word kairos, which is the word for destiny. So with Star Wars just coming out, and I don't know if you saw the stats, but it's already like 43, an opening day, 50-something million dollars. And they're saying it's on its way to over, overshoot, I guess, the highest-ranking movie, which I think was Jurassic World or something, with $208 million. They said they're going to surpass that. with, with Anybody seen it yet? You don't say anything. Because I was over at Val's surf shop, and some guys came in, and I was shopping around, and all of a sudden I heard everyone say, no, 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 don't say it. And it was like this eruption. I said, what's going on? He just told the ending to the movie. And I said, I didn't overhear it. Don't say anything. Time out. You know, I didn't even know there was an ending, except it comes to the end. But now there's a mystery, some kind of thing, right? And he's not saying, not saying. But one of my favorite scenes, you remember in, I don't know if it's Return of the Jedi, which one it was, but when the emperor is sitting on his seat and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker's lightsabers cross and he says, this is your destiny. And he says that with such great, I mean, it's like, it's the whole movie right there, that one line, your destiny. 
That's the word that's used here. At the moment of destiny, the Lord sent forth his son. At the very right needed moment. Messiah didn't just appear. He came at the precise moment God had indicated. And we can't go into all of that, what that, that signifies. But Daniel the prophet tells us the exact time in his prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter 9 of the prophet Daniel. At the very precise moment, Paul is saying, he sent his son who was then born of a woman. Born so as to save us. So what does he have to save us from, from our sin? But here's another interesting passage, if you would. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We've been studying the book of Hebrews, so I felt, you know, I don't want you to forget what we've been doing in Hebrews. So if we come back to chapter 2, look what this writer tells us about Messiah's coming. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore... The children, he's talking about the Jewish people because that's the whole context of the book of Hebrews, but we can apply it in a broader scale, uh, a broader scope, but it's important to see that with regard to what the writer says right here. He says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. That's another way of saying just as God's chosen people who were created by God had done so through physicality, Flesh and blood. Look what he says. Uh, He himself, likewise, speaking of Messiah, he himself, likewise, partook of the same things. That is to say, he too became flesh and blood. In Paul's words, he was born of a woman. So same thing is going on here. He was born in, with all human frailty. Why? That through death. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the evil one, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, notice the writer doesn't say fear of dying. He says the fear of death. Now, you and I may not always be conscious of this fear, but it is there. It's there because what he means by the fear of death is the consequences of death. Not merely the consequences of dying, but the consequences of death. Now, remember, what we just saw in Galatians is that Messiah came to redeem us from the law, the ramifications of the law, which is it reveals our sin. And what is the result of our sin? The writer is telling us here, death. And so what is death? He doesn't say the fear of dying, but it's the consequences of death, the ramifications of what sin causes. Sin causes death, but what is death? Death is not merely the cessation of life. Death is the destruction of everything good God intends. That's what death is. So God created us to have an eternal existence with him in bliss, joy, and happiness. So what happened in the garden? The ramifications of die of of sin as God told Adam, dying you shall surely die. Everything good, everything of God's positive intentions would come to naught. Death is alienation from God in all of its ways. We're separated from him. And therefore, as a consequence, we are in great peril. 
But the writer can tell us this, and he refers to it as the fear of death, though you and I are not consciously fearful of it because we have this question mark in our minds about the existence of God, about the, the redemptive qualities of what Messiah has done for us, all of those questions. But the writers are trying to alert us to our greatest need. We're alienated from God, and we need one to save us, to redeem us, in Paul's words, to deliver us, as it were. And here's where, in some sense, is a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And that is, we all experience a certain sense of fears. But whatever fears we might experience, they're sort of like tributaries that flow into the greatest challenge that we have, which is our ultimate demise, alienated from God, unless we are saved, so that we might not be separated from him. So all the fears that we experience are meant to be an alert to us that there's a greater fear that we may not be conscious of. So I was listening to a pastor speak, and he had spoken on fear, and I was quite taken by this as I was thinking of these passages and thinking about the presence of fear at the time of the coming of Messiah. Had anyone ever noticed that before? Because I hadn't. The centrality of the events of Messiah have to do with fear. I want to share that with you. So, for example, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you would like, in Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph is told to take Mary as his wife, remember what it says about Joseph? He wasn't willing to do that at first. Why? Because he was afraid. He feared what people would say of him. In fact, when the angel comes to him, the angel says, fear not, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. What did he fear? He feared his reputation. He feared what other people might think of him. But that fear was the manifestation of a greater fear that he may not have been conscious of, which is that reality of being separated from God. All these fears really spring out of a central concern. We're alienated from God. And so Joseph is told, don't be afraid. And here's another interesting event, although it's not really with the birth of Messiah, but oftentimes connected to the early life of Messiah when the Magi come from the east. And they follow the star, the Shekinah glory that leads them to the presence of Messiah. And when they come to Jerusalem, they say, we have seen or we know that the king of Israel is born for we have seen his star in the east. What's interesting is this is still Matthew chapter 1 or 2. It says that when Herod heard it, he was disturbed or troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The word for fear in the first sense of Joseph is the word phobos from where we get the word phobia from. But if the word that's if Herod is a different word that means to stir up to uh, like, a, like a, a water would be churned up or bubbling. And it's used of intense distress and disturbance in the mind or in the heart. So in the case of Herod, he was deeply troubled, 
churned up, disturbed by what he hear that there's a new king. But it wasn't just Herod that had this incredible fear. It was also all of Jerusalem with him because they didn't know what Herod would do in light of this information. By the way, this is the same word that's used of the shepherds. That when the angels appear and the glory of God appears, it says that the angels trembled and were greatly distressed by what they saw. And the angels say, fear not, for, for, for you this day has been born in Bethlehem or whatever, uh, a child. But when they see all of this, it says that they feared because of what had happened. When you read the account of Zechariah in the temple, As he's lighting the altar of incense, an angel appears on the side of the altar. The altar of incense was symbolizing the prayers of the Jewish people. And Zechariah was praying along with Elizabeth, who wasn't present, but they were praying together that they might have a child. And an angel appears to give them this good news. But what does the text say? It says, and this is Luke chapter 1 or 2, it says that Zechariah trembled with fear. And the angel says, don't fear, I'm here to answer your prayers. But then it says that Zechariah said to the angel, how do I know that this is going to happen? And that's when the Lord has him or the angel has him struck dumb because of his lack of faith. So we see with Joseph sort of like a fear of one's reputation. We see in the case of Herod and Jerusalem, fear of reprisal, fear of loss of power. We see, like in the case of Zechariah, there's this fear of um, distrust. He doesn't believe God. That's why God deals with him the way he does. What's interesting is when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and, and the angel says, Shalom. It says that Mary greatly feared. And the angel tells her not to be afraid because that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. Now, her response is, how is this going to happen? Not that she disbelieved or distrusted God. She just wanted an explanation of how this all comes to fruition. And the angel tells her the Spirit of God will be instrumental in uh, all that is to transpire. I think it's really interesting, don't you? All of these fearful moments at the most wondrous moment in history, you know. Why? Because he's come into our world to bring salvation. He's come into our world to deliver us. Now, when we think of birth and why Messiah came to bring redemption, I've always been stirred, once I learned this, that there's only one place In all of the four good news accounts of the coming of Messiah, there's only one place that he speaks of himself being born. You know, you would think that when he would refer to himself, he said, yes, I was born in Bethlehem. I was born for such a time as this. I was born so as to bring life. I was born so as to give my life a ransom for many. He never uses the phrase. In fact, I started looking at what phrase he does use. I generally don't bring up any kind of notes or anything, but um, I counted 50 times when Messiah makes reference to his coming, he uses the word sent and never uses the word born. I started counting, and 
ran out of time, (laughs) counting how many times he says, come. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He doesn't say, I was born so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But 50 times he speaks of this. And if I could, let me just share with you some of these phrases because they just come up over and over again, particularly in John's account. And if you were to read through John chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, you will see it there at least 20 or 30 times that he says that. So let me just share with you some of these passages. In John chapter 5, verse 23, he'll say something like this. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He says in verse In verse 30, I could do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. In verse 36, he says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very words that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. In verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his voice you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, that's just a few verses in chapter 5. We can look at chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and on and on. He speaks about being sent. And what did Paul write? God sent his son born of a woman. And what is Yeshua telling us? That he was sent. When he does speak about being born, and check this out, it's in John chapter, I think it's John chapter 18. He's questioned of all persons by Pilate. And he says, and Pilate says to him, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Yeshua, said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Yeshua answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Are you saying this out of your own curiosity, your own evaluation, your own thoughts, or is it because others have told you who I am? Pilate's answer is telling. He says, am I a Jew? I'm not a Jew. I'm a Roman. Your own nation and the chief leaders have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So he's saying, no, I'm not asking you as a Jew. I'm not a Jew. I'm asking you as a Roman. People are telling me things. So I'm asking you, are you a king? And he answered, my kingdom is not of this world. He doesn't mean to say my kingdom is not visible or tangible. He means the word world here is cosmos. It's not of this present order of things. My kingdom will burst onto the scene of history and destroy the way the world operates and its values in this day. My kingdom operates under a whole different set of values, one in which God is honored, one in which we love God with all our heart and we love our neighbor as ourselves. My kingdom is not of this present order of things. When my kingdom emerges, I will bring to an end the kingdoms and the way they behave and operate at this time. But be assured, he says, I am a king. And look what he says, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. Look what Yeshua says. You say, yes, I am a king. And this is what he says. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, he says, I have come into the world. You would have expected that to be reversed. For this purpose, I have come into the world. For this purpose, I was born. That's how Paul puts it. But that's not how Yeshua puts it. Yeshua puts it the other way. This is the reason why I was born, to be a king. 
So why was Yeshua born? Because the king of Israel must be the son of David. And to be the son of David, you have to be born. Messiah is always a king. But he can't be a king, as the scriptures have said, unless he is born. So as to fulfill the promises to David. So why was he born? To fulfill the promises. Why did he come? Because God sent him. And what is his mission? You know, when it says, I am sent, that's the word apostolos. One that is sent forth. That means he has a mission. And what is his mission? Galatians 4, to redeem us from our sin. What is a king supposed to do? A king is supposed to protect his citizens, to protect his subjects. A king is to deliver those whom are his. And why was Messiah born? He was born so as to save his people from their sins. How is it that we have sinned? Because we've disobeyed the law. And what are we in need of? We're in need of a king that can provide us with life and forgiveness. So when Messiah is brought into the sphere and into the place of history, Joseph is told, you are to name him Yeshua. God is salvation. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So years ago, there was a book that, that came out that is called something like, what's the title of it now? Something like the, uh, the Gift of Fear. And the reason that book came out and the reason it was titled that way is because the writer was saying there are certain times just innately we have these fears. And he's saying we should be responsive to those fears because they are a good thing. There's something we're crafted with. So, you know, when you go down a dark road, all of a sudden you feel this weird vibe hanging, you know, coming on. And you figure, I'm just going to ignore it. And the next thing you know, somebody's, you know, pulling a gun or something on you. And he tells many stories like this. But when we respond to those kind of fears, we, very often it's, they're legitimate. The gift of fear. So in some sense, when I read about these fear moments at the birth of Messiah, it's almost like a gift of fear. Because what are these fears meant to do? They're meant to alert us to the greatest fear we have, the fear of death. That's a fear we don't necessarily sense, but we sense all these other kinds of fears, whatever fears you may, may have. Some people have fears of speaking in public, right? And uh, believe me, the only reason why I don't have that fear as pressing is because I've just had to do it for so long, you know. And you see these gray hairs. Just yesterday, I was fully black, fully black, you know. It just, you know, you start to get used to the fear and you work through it, you know. But some people, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You know, some people have fear of water. Some people have fear of, of heights. Some people have fears of going out of the house. All pe- people have all kinds of fears. Those fears are, in a sense, a gift in a sense, a gift, because they're alerting you to the fact there is a greater fear that we do not necessarily are conscious of. It's the fear of our alienation from God. And that's why Messiah was born. For as a king, he can deliver us. And as a human being, he can give his life a ransom for many and to provide the atonement for all of our sin. And in providing atonement for all of our sin, we no longer need to fear the consequences of our sin or what will be after this life is over. 
And in the trip that we are on and the journey that we are on, the variety of fears that we experience can be dealt with by the power of God as he enables us to do. But some fears he'll, let, he'll leave there. So we'll always be depending upon him to get through it day by day. The birth of Messiah is an incredible moment in history. And it's an incredible moment, really, in our own time as we celebrate and rejoice over what Messiah has done. He's the one who is sent by God and born of a woman that we would have life. And if I had time, the upshot is we then become sent ones like him. Remember how Yeshua ended his life? As he has sent me, so send I you. Years ago, someone used to say, see, there's some Chinese in the Bible too, so send I you. Uh, just a joke, another, uh, another one that fell flat, but I tried it, tried it. But you'll never forget that. God has, if you know him, and if Messiah has come into your life and has re- taken away your sin because he was sent in the world to do that, he now sends you forth. As he was sent, so send I you. And go into all the world and, like him, make disciples. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this day, this Shabbat, this time of rest, because we are delivered from the fear of death. And this time when we are in the season of celebrating and observing and reflecting on the coming of Messiah into our world whom you have sent, Father, we rejoice that he is our king and as our king he delivers us from whatever trials, tribulations, fears, and concerns we might have. He is the rock of all ages. And he is the one upon whom we can stand. And we can stand strong. So, Father, we are grateful that your spirit resides within our hearts and can deliver us from all of the challenges we face But it is that greatest challenge that he has made a way for us as well. So we would express our gratitude to you this day. And Father, I would just ask if anyone here has never met Messiah, has never come to know him, has never experienced the deliverance that comes through the work that Messiah did in our behalf, I pray, Lord, you would open their hearts and open their minds and enable them, Father, to take advantage of the gift of life that you've provided. And Father, for those of us who have expressed our need to you and have thanked you for the gift of life through Messiah, We would think about this time as a time to dedicate ourselves afresh in service to you. For you have sent us into our world to help others see what you have done and what you have provided. Bring life and light to everyone this season. And bring courage to all that we might embrace you acknowledge you, follow you, worship you, and serve you. We pray in Yeshua's name.
Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.